0: This is uh, such a strange time of the year with all the commercial things that go on. And meanwhile, we're trying to do some spiritual things in the church, and it becomes an odd time. And whenever I think about that, I always think about the one that I've heard a number of years ago about the little boy who was about four years old. And he, uh, his mom told him, Do not eat the cookies out of the cookie jar in the kitchen. And on this particular day, she hears the clinking of the cookie jar in the kitchen, and she yells in there and says, Johnny are you getting into the cookies and after a few minutes he says no and she yells back eventually saying God sees everything and then a few moments later he yells back and says does God talk to Santa Claus (laughs) our spiritual stuff and all the other things about how our society deals with Christmas and it's it's coming are we can get off base on the spiritual front. We are in the season of Advent, which is the season before the season of Christmas. That's meant to be a season of preparation, and we're not going to be able to fight this at large with society, but it's great for us to come back and ask, what is, has what is the season been about through all these ages of Christianity? And there are really th- sort of three, maybe four really big themes that are involved in Advent, and I'm going to speak about one of them today, but if you look at it, Um, The season of Advent is meant to be a time of us anticipating the coming of Christ in Bethlehem. So if you go look at the Old Testament, for example, um, the Old Testament is really about teaching us fundamental theology about God and anticipation of the Messiah. That's like the, the biggest summary of it that I can give. But we want to tap into that anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. That's one piece of it. Another piece of it is the coming of Christ at the end of time at the close of the age. And that's part of where I'm going to go today. And then some of the other themes that you'll sometimes hear, one, going back to Bernard of Clairvaux in the middle, mid-ages, is talking about the coming of Christ daily into our hearts, sometimes brought in, which, of course, is huge. And then also, along with that, is sometimes um, there is an aspect of repentance with the season. And so sometimes you'll see, instead of, Purple for Mary and hope and all the other things. Sometimes you'll see purple, the traditional color of repentance. If you ever go to confession, the priest is going to have a purple stole on. It's symbolic of repentance. So you'll see that sometimes as well. Those are some of the different themes and things that float around. What I'd like to do to today is to focus in on this anticipation of Christ's coming at the close of the age and the close of, of things, right? And if you were to pick up a systematic theology um, textbook this would be something called last things. Or if they wanted to get a little more fancy, they would call it eschatology. That's what it is. We don't talk about it. I venture to say, most of you in this room, if I just said pop quiz, we're going to write, what, tell us about what, how Christian eschatology works, how last things worked, you would have some, uh, you wouldn't have a, an easy answer. Let's just say it that way, right? You wouldn't have an easy answer. But, that's, but this is something that every Advent in ancient times they would go into these hard places, right? Some of the traditional topics would be, these would be four sermons you would have heard in ancient times. You would have heard something on death, on judgment, on heaven, and on hell. Those were some of the four. And and Advent was longer in ancient times. But they, they would have included those four. I want to focus in on the end of your life and the end of the age. And to do that, I want to give you just a sense of perspective. The Bible doesn't have... One chapter that I can turn to and say, here it is laid out, black and white, kind of a thing. But what you have is the tradition of the church through the ages based on Scripture teaching on this topic. And that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to hit the traditional view, the view held by the majority of Christians in the world today. There are other views. I'm going to mention one or two rabbit trails along the way, just to give you a sense that we don't have it. Everything's not completely black and white. Good thinking, holy Christians have some different views on some of this. And I'll mention one or two of those as we go. But as we start it, I think the beginning place for us to just come back to some basic Christian things, like the place of hope, we are not... um, There are lots of religions in the world that think somehow life is cyclical. Or there's some kind of circular pattern. Think about the Chinese calendar. Or you think about a pattern of reincarnation where you're trying to make some progress or whatever. But Christianity says that time is, is linear and that we're headed towards a destination and that God's hand is guiding that. And, and we get that place and we, and we think about what Jesus' life and death and resurrection means, that this new thing is taking place. Something huge has happened that changes everything and brings about this place of hope. And then to sort of orient where we live today... You know, again, we don't always talk about this, but we live in what is, is sort of called the in-between times. Because if you'd gone back in, in ancient Jewish um, theology, they had two ages. The current age and the age to come. There were just these two ages. And Christianity, we would really say today, we live in, in what's sort of an in-between those two. Because Jesus came and said the kingdom of God's near. This stuff is starting. And he, he's ushering it in. But then he turns around and does things like teaches us to pray for the coming of the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. That we get this idea it started, but it's not fully here. And there's lots of levels at which this plays out. I think it, it, one of the levels I think we talk about it playing out is at the personal level. Because we come to a place of experiencing God's grace and love and mercy. And we start to get this. St. Paul will tell you in 2 Corinthians 5 that you, you'll become a new creature. Like, you're a new thing. It's already started. You're new. You got a new life, a new lease, a new, what, all this stuff. But you're not fully there. Paul's going to go on to talk about running the race throughout your whole life. He's going to talk about being a kingdom or, or citizen of a kingdom above. And we're, you know, we're going to a different place. So there's a now and not yet that takes place at large. There's a now and not yet in us as to where we're headed and we see this taking place in history. And that's part of the, our, our perspective. Now, how does this play out as we head towards the thing about the end? Well, the reality of it is for us, every one of us are headed to a place where we're going we're gonna to die and expire. And we think about what that means. The tradition of that is that there's a place where your body and your soul are going to separate. And if you, I don't know if you guys have ever had any friends who've been through this. I have. I've got one good friend who went through an um, a extremely near death experience, and she would talk about floating off and seeing herself down, an extreme um, car crash, the separation of body and her soul, and her, her ability to see, and how things went. I mean, she didn't, that's not where it ended. But this idea that death is that, is that place, and scripture talks about in Hebrews about that happening once. I mean, like that ultimately, ultimately in our death, we separate, and that's where we go. So we get this idea that that's going to that's gonna happen. Then what happens next? The teaching that we get, and, and most of Scripture talks about, um, there are two different levels of judgment that are talked about in Scripture. One, the main one, if you go read the New Testament cover to cover, the main one that's talked about is the general judgment, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But Scripture also supports, and the tradition of the church is, that there's a particular judgment. This idea that when you die, there's an immediate reward or punishment, as it were, or some kind of place you go to immediately. And you can think about a number of examples. I I think about a few that I'd mentioned, but the most uh, pointed one is Jesus on the cross with a thief. And he tells him, on that day, he says, on this day, this day, not the future when the second coming happens, on this day, you're going to be with me in paradise, so you get this idea, okay, he's going to this place now. And you think about what grace is, that the thief is on the cross being told that, right? This place of grace. And really that's what we're talking about. We're talking about how we people respond to God's grace in life with whatever measure they get of it, how they respond to it, and, and what it means in the next life. The other big example of that is Lazarus. The story, not the one who's raised from the dead, but the other Lazarus who we get the story about how he's, this wealthy, great person, and I'm and, uh, sorry, the person that's with him. And Lazarus is this beggar whose best friends are the dogs who lick his wounds. If you remember this story from, from Scripture. And then they die, and it's reversed. Lazarus is up sitting in Abraham's lap. This wealthy man who is, whose gates he sat at is down in suffering. And he sees him, and he says, Just let him come bring me a little water to put on my tongue. You know, Jesus tells this whole story and this idea that that's what's happening to them and the sense of of what's going on after they die. This immediate sense of that they go someplace. And the tradition is that these two places are heaven and hell, whether it's the permanent sense of it or not, with heaven being a place where they're experiencing paradise and God's presence, and hell being a place that many of the saints in the past have said is is the absence of God. I think we have to confess we don't know all the details. My kids used to ask me all kinds. Of, we don't know all the details. There's been at least one good saint who said it was the same place. It's just whether we wanted to be there or not. Right? If, it, if, it, if you wanted to be there, it was heaven. If you didn't want to have anything to do with God, it was hell. Right? And then there's this thought of maybe a third place. And this gets really complicated. Um, and so let me, let me just give you a little bit of uh, scriptural, scriptural thoughts on this. Um, The first one of these is from 1 Corinthians 3. This is St. Paul writing. He says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire. and The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This idea that the person who didn't do the things that maybe he should have done is going to get tested with fire. But the way that Paul talks about this, you get the notion that they're saved, but it's going to be through fire. So there's something else going on there. Let me read one more. This is from Matthew twelve. Jesus says, Whoever says a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. And the significance of that passage is that Jesus is talking about forgiveness in the age to come, in the in the next chapter. And he goes out of his way to sort of clarify what that means. Now, if you haven't figured it out, this is the tricky topic that I'm talking about is what Catholics would call purgatory. And so just a quick perspective on that, right? The Reformers back in the Reformation completely rejected that because it took away from any idea of certainty around justification through faith now. They didn't want anything to distract it from that. And Anglicans who are always sort of in the middle, we actually took a position on it in the Articles of Religion. And we say... We don't believe in the Romish doctrine of purgatory, whatever that means. And, uh, and so you get this idea, okay, what well, does that mean that we can believe in the Anglican notion of it? I don't know what it means. The, the previous pope I thought was interesting, um, Pope Benedict, because he said, well, I believe in it, but I think it happens like that. That it happens in an instant, is what he wrote. But this idea that maybe there's a place where um, people who die who've not... Fu- fully gotten where they're going, still find some measure of grace afterwards. I don't know. I think it's a great concept. I want to hold on to all the hope and grace that I can. But it's, but, and there are people like N.T. Wright, the great Anglican bishop and New Testament scholar. He says you can't come to, to All Saints Day when we also do All Souls Day and we pray for people who've died. That you can't pray for people who've died unless you believe that there's some notion of this. So you can contemplate these things. I don't have an answer to it. I just want you guys to think about the really deep stuff for a little bit. And forgive me if if I've gone too deep. I'm gonna head up, um, you know, wind these things up real quick as we head towards the, the second part of this. Is the end of times altogether, right? This idea that we're gonna come to a final and permanent judgment, this great and general judgment, and we talk about this in our creeds that there's gonna be a judgment of the quick and the dead. And Paul's going to talk about this as well, that there's going to come a time when we're, we're going to be judged. And what does it all mean, right? And we talk about this, this notion that there's going to be a day when we're reunited with our bodies, or, and we're going to have these spiritual bodies, and we're going to come to this place where we're, where we're judged. I want to read just one passage on it. Um, I know we've got we to wind it up, but this is from 1 Corinthians 15. Lo, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable nature must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal nature must be put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is the victory? O death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This notion that in the end that we'll be judged that way and things will be made permanent. We don't know when this is going to happen. Um, there, there's one other thing I would say about it, and then I'll leave you with a f- couple thoughts to think about for the week. Um, it's not just about this ultimate judgment of people and kind of where we are on this. It's also all of creation. There's this hope in it that everything's going to be made right. Justice that justice will be borne out, that um, all of creation that's crying out for redemption will be redeemed, that there'll be a new, a new earth and a new heaven. All of this will take place um, and will beckon us and call us into this, right? And there'll be this new hope. So though it's more than just uh, about us, it's about the whole thing. These are some of the deep thoughts of Advent. So when you're running around listening to little jingle bells on the radio, um, the history of the church and the season of Advent is to draw us to a really deep place to think about what it means for the end of your life, to think about the end of the age. And I think the things that we think about are this call to these first order questions because we can, we can live on... We can run around doing all these little things and never think deep thoughts. And part of Advent, I think, calls us to deep thoughts. I think part of Advent reminds us of the deep hope for all of us who suffer in this world that there's going to be a day when things are made right, when there's going to be a place where there are no tears. I think part of these questions we have about what happens next gives us hope about the complete measures of grace and love that go beyond the grave. And who wants to limit that? And all of these things that call us just to ponder and think about that deeper place. You will never be more fair than God. You will never be more loving than God. You will never have more grace than God. So as we think about all these things, I encourage you to hold on to that as well. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us so much. You created us and called us into being. We pray during this season of Advent that you would take us to a deeper place. Just help us to ponder at some level what's to come, your ultimate plans, the notions of being with you in eternity, and what it means for us now as we do the work of your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.